All right, take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. And hey, Mr. Tingley, is there a way to get these uh, a little brighter? I know that the switches are all kind of crazy back there. I think it's a slider uh, on the wall. Yeah, hey, that's it. Thank you so much. Ah, sweet. I can see. All right, here we are in uh, Ephesians, and um, we have been working through this book, and here we are in chapter 5, starting in verse 25. And uh, hey, before I read this, I want to tell you that uh, we'll be in this today. Then we're going to take a two-week break from this uh, study, because I know spring break and spring break weekends are coming in, and I don't want you to miss the flow of what we're talking about. So we'll come back to this after that. So we'll take a little breather, do a couple other things, but we are coming back to this. Uh, We're going to be in this uh, at least a few more times. So here we are in chapter 5, verse 25. This is God's word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I probably picked some uh, unfortunate uh, comedic stuff for you this morning, cultural stuff, because uh, my opening illustration is about holding babies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I get, uh, I get a, a really kind of a cool thing with my job is I, I see a lot of people who have babies in the hospital, and I get, and they, I get to hold their babies a lot. And um, I really enjoy doing that. Uh, uh, and, you know, when you go to a hospital and you visit somebody and you get to hold their baby, uh, especially pastor guy, it's kind of like a politician. Here's our baby. Everybody wants you to hold the baby. And uh, so when you hold the baby, uh, they go, would you like to, you know, you're in there about 10 minutes. They go, would you like to hold, our, hold the baby? And uh, you never do this. <laughs> sure. I'd like to. Hold on a second. You know, you know, it's Purell, and you're real careful, and they hand it, him or her to you, and you, you, know, you just grab that little thing, and you just realize that something really treasured is, is in, your, in your possession. These parents have handed you their most treasured possession. The child is delicate. All movements are tender and careful, and you're holding its little head and so on, that little tiny frame within your grip. I start that way because husbands... If that is not the way you think about your wife, if that's not the way you think about marriage, if that's not the way you think about your household, if that's not the way you think about the authority that God has given you, then you don't know anything at all about how to love. Because authority, being head over someone, is nothing less 
than, than someone in, in, a, in a superior situation handing you something that's very precious to him personally. That's what God has done with your wife. He's taking something that is very precious to him personally, and he's saying, okay, now I'm going to hand her over to you, but I want you to handle her like I want you to handle her. It's as if God says to husbands, okay, your movements can't be bombastic. Your words can't be harsh. Your patience can't get away from you. I'm going to put this thing in your hands. I'm going to put this precious one in your hands, this soul. And I want you to, I want you to take the responsibility that I've assigned to you. And that, gentlemen, is the essence of biblical headship in the Christian home. It's not just getting to make executive decisions and, 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 and putting your foot down on big things. It's taking the precious thing that God has assigned to you and dealing with her the way he wants you to. Well, huh? Yeah, let's pray. (laughs) That introduction said, let me tell you what the big idea is. We're continuing. We have to keep keep hooked to the anchor, okay? This has been the same point. It will be the same point for the next few weeks. Marriage is a picture of the church's relationship to Christ. Now, that's not an arbitrary declaration invented by theologians, so we've got something to talk about. We're trying to piece something together in the Bible. No, no. It's distinctly taught. We're, we're supposed to understand our relationship with Jesus in that way. Marriage is the way we're supposed to understand uh, the, the, the relationship between a, a, a husband and bride, Christ and his church. That is the way the Bible depicts it with great intentionality. So let's explore that together. Uh, and we start with our first point, which is the model is the Savior. Look at verse 25. Husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, let's stop for just a minute because what we tend to do with the Scriptures as we read them, as uh, redeemed people, it's true, the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts, is uh, illuminating truth, applying truth, uh, making it real to our uh, souls and experiences. Um, But when we read God's Word, we tend to read it and reduce it. In fact, I wrote a quote, and I think it's true. Those to whom the passage applies always want to contain it. In other words, when we read the scriptures, we go, okay, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Agree with that. Don't want to get too close to it. But I certainly agree with that. I, it's true. Oh, in fact, you know, we could go back a verse too. Look at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, okay, that seems pretty clear. So also, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. See, we want to do it with that, too. We want to go, okay, well, uh, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> well, I, 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 see what that says. But uh, there's got to be, you know, I, I, okay, Let, let's move on. Uh, what I want to do is read that and kind of reduce it, because uh, if, if I understand it too deeply, if I, if I delve into it too much, then uh, I might have to be confronted by it, and that would be convicting to me. And so we want to, we want to read it and reduce it. We're not allowed to read it and reduce it. Husbands, you're not allowed to read and reduce. Here's what we want to do as husbands. We want to read verse 25 and go, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We go, I get it. I get it. Christ loved the church a lot. And baby, I love you a lot. I loved you a lot the day I said I do. I still love you a lot. I love you a lot. So I'm faithful to that text. Oh, you don't get to do that, hombre. When it comes to husbands, 
We don't get to go, oh, that's a little coach's pep talk right there. You know, that's just a little, you know, some practical advice uh, and so on. It is a solemn charge by the sovereign of the universe. Now, keep your finger in Ephesians. We will be back. But I must take you back to the book of Genesis. So Genesis chapter 1. You notice this is not the first time we've been in Genesis, nor will it be the last time. Very important to connect these uh, things together because the Apostle Paul does it purposefully. So look at chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 9. If you've ever heard Dr. Young do a wedding ceremony, uh, you'll recognize uh, some of what I'm about to say. But you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and um, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, there's an expanse uh, uh, in the midst of the waters and so on. And in verse 9 of Genesis 1, God says, uh, well, let's, let's gather the waters in one place and the land in one place, and so there's earth and water and so on. And at the end of verse 10, it says, and God saw that it was good. Uh, and then he goes on and he makes uh, trees and vegetation and so on. And at the end of verse 12, it says, And God saw that it was good. And uh, then uh, there's uh, stars and so on and the expanse of the universe. And uh, he sets everything uh, in motion uh, in the cosmos. And it says at the end of verse 18, And God saw that it was good. Uh, he makes all kinds of living creatures and uh, beasts of every kind. And uh, at the end of verse 25, it says, And God saw that it was good. All right, now what usually happens is that you hear this very affirming thing, and it is very affirming to women because um, it has very much to do with image bearing and, and the importance that God places on all of his uh, created humanity equally. Uh, in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All right, so you see the, 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 the side bonus that you get is really quite lovely because the capstone ladies, if you ever wondered the, the, the premium uh, that God puts on femininity and her part in, in, in humanity, it is quite high. And uh, the scriptures go out of their way to say, all of creation was flung into existence, not flung, but uh, spoken, handcrafted by the, the, by the sovereign creator. And the, the thing that changes it from good to very good is the woman. That ought to be very affirming to you, that on the very first pages of scriptures, uh, God wants there to be no confusion. Um, so that, that's a side bonus, but it's not the main idea. You know, folks, um, how are we to understand God making something that he himself calls not good? He's making all this creation, but, but part of his creation is not good. Now, that might be conflicting to some of you. Hey, let me show you another. Uh, let me show you something that will give you some clarification. Turn, flip ahead to chapter 11. Um, chapter 11, uh, uh, the... the, the Human beings are supposed to disperse, they're supposed to populate the earth, they're supposed to have dominion and subdue it and, and uh, spread out and turn the whole world into a, a beautiful garden, but they don't do it. Rather, they build themselves a tower uh, to make a name for themselves. And uh, in verse 5 of chapter 11, it says this, very curious statement, but it, it's very helpful. It says, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, and it says it again in verse 7, let us go down and, and, and there confuse their language. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you really think that God 
had to come down to see what was going on. No. But the Bible puts it that way. Um, if God really did have to come down and go, well, I guess I better put on my, my, you know, my outfit and go down to the earth and see what's going on. If that were really the way it were, that would hardly be a boss. It would hardly be a ruler. It would hardly be God. You know, the watchmaker understands every little piece inside that watch. And the painter is intimate with every stroke of the brush. And the quarterback knows every man and every play. And God knows everything about the universe. But the Bible speaks this way because it's trying to communicate to finite beings. Things that are beyond us, it's trying to communicate to finite beings. So concerning God's coming down to see, what are we supposed to take away from that? God comes down to see, we're supposed to go, oh, I get it. He doesn't actually have to come down to see, but the Bible's putting it in that way so we understand that God is not capricious. He judges in justice and truth. He sees what we are doing. The Bible wants it to make it clear, clear to us. And then he judges. You understand? It's speaking to us in ways that we understand. Well, that's what's happening here too in Genesis 1. God is speaking to us through his word in ways that we can understand. It's not that he's made a crummy creation and he goes, oh, darn, I guess I better fix it because I made this guy by himself and I, that's just a... Oh, well, it's an afterthought, but I'm going to make a lady. No, no, no. It's all part of the plan. And what we're supposed to see here is that God is not, you know, on the edge of his throne wondering what's going to happen. Rather, he's creating things um, in degrees, right? I mean, my goodness, um, in uh, Psalm 139.4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows all the stuff already. He knows what's going to happen. But what he's showing us, he's, he's recording it in his word, creation in degrees, so that we might see something critically important that applies to Ephesians and applies to marriage, which is this. It is not good that man be alone, the first pages of God's word, he wants us to see it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper. And man, as you read this, you got to go, wow, in the creation account, God knew that when he made me, I needed a helper. So the point is, a husband needs his wife. A wife needs her husband. It's not just a bonus. It's a needed thing. Now, let me stop for a second because I did singles ministry for a long time at this church, and it used to just tear my heart up when, when these kinds of things would be taught or preached or if I even had to do it because I knew there were single adults out there for, for many different reasons. Some people had never married. Some people had lost a spouse. Some people had been through painful divorce. They sit there, and they've got to listen to marriage things, and, and that can be so hard. And, but notice that I chose my words very carefully. I said, a husband needs his wife. I didn't say a man needed a woman. I said a husband needs his wife, a wife needs his husband. And you got to remember that the apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, um, had the gift of singleness as well. So make no mistake, God's grace is sufficient for all of his children, married or no. But my point is, is that marriage isn't what society deems it to be. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's plan. And his ultimate plan is to show us that um, the author of all that is right 
the author of all that is lovely, all that is holy and true, wants us to see a connection between the church's relationship to Jesus Christ and a husband and wife. That's the point. One more thing before we leave uh, Genesis, and that's in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2 and verse 23. Um, Ah, yes. The man said, this at last. You know, better than a hippopotamus, much better than a hippopotamus. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now that one flesh idea pulls us back to Ephesians, so let's go back there. Look at verse uh, 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Hmm, I wonder what that means. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You get the one flesh connection? That's what it's saying there. That's why it's talking about, no, hey, no one abuses his body. No, you, you don't try to hurt your own self. Verse 30. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Wow, that sounds familiar. And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Ah, so we know the Apostle Paul is thinking about and even quoting the creation account when he's thinking about marriage. Now, what does he say about it? Well, he goes on to say in verse 32, this mystery is profound. He's saying, I know. It's profound. And you see what the Apostle Paul is doing, too. He's writing on two levels, right? He's addressing marriage. He really is talking about marriage. He really is fleshing out the practical implications of the foundation laid, which is we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's saying this is what it looks like in actual living human relationships. Here's what it looks like. So he is addressing marriage, but you see that he's connecting it with Christ and the church. And he admits, and he's right, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's not a manufactured theologian's uh, uh, preacher's gimmick. It is, it is what the Bible teaches. It is Marriage is a picture of the church's relationship to Christ. It's a profound mystery. Yes, it is. And then he goes back and he says, verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So he's saying, basically, I'm writing on two levels. I'm addressing marriage, but I'm addressing the biggest picture of all, which is marriage is a picture of our relationship to Jesus Christ. That means, gentlemen, Christ is our model. That's what that means. He's our how-to, and we'll talk about more how-to in a, a couple of weeks. But for now, let me leave you with this application. Men, me, examine your actions. Just examine your actions. Examine your dealings. Examine your speech. Examine your tone. Examine your patience. Examine any exasperation you may feel. Examine the the tone uh, you set in your home. 
If your love doesn't look and smell and feel like Jesus' heart, then you are doing it wrong. You're not loving like like a treasured thing has been given to you. It's got to look like Jesus' heart. All right, second point. The medium is the gospel. Now listen, when when people come to verse 25, they get all jiggy about application and how-tos and real talk. Okay, now we're going to get down to some real talk and some relevance. You know, people find all that kind of application stuff real juicy. You know, don't bore me with all the theology stuff. Yeah, it's an application. Okay, well, great. In In about 10 words, we get to verse 25 and people go, oh, good. Here we are, husbands. Hey, wake up, Henry, because this is about you. Now, look it, look it. All right, we're going to get practical. And in about 10 words, it goes to, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we go, okay, all right, they love the church. I love you, I love you. Okay, I'm, I'm with you so far. And then all of a sudden, it moves into the deepest gospel stuff ever. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? He gave himself up for her. What does that mean? He died. And he did more than die. He, he, he didn't do more than die. Well, he rose from the dead too. But what I'm saying is that, that he humbled himself, that he sacrificed, that he put his comforts aside, that he, let, he let his love um, dictate his actions, that he submitted to the Father. He did all those things, ladies and gentlemen. And that is supposed to be not only our model, but, it, but it's, a, it's a gospel portrait that Christ loved the church unto death. And it goes on, that he might sanctify her. So Christ sees the church. He sees her need. He sees her hurt. He sees her frailties. He sees separation. He sees um, the, the agony that's caused by sin. And he intervenes. And he does so to sanctify her. Now, what does that mean? That means that the church, that, that Christian people, men and women, are set apart They're taken from this place, and they're put in this place, and they're set apart, and they're taken care of carefully. And, of course, throughout the life of the Christian, God continues to sanctify us, set us apart, make us more like Christ. But as we're converted, we are set apart too. So Christ died for the church to sanctify her. And listen to this. He cleanses her. This is a profound work, ladies and gentlemen. That's the gospel. This is what Jesus did for us. He didn't die on the cross just a, you know, as a sad thing that happened in history. He died on the cross with intentionality. And he died on the cross with names of people on his heart and mind. He died on the cross in love, love for you, Christian. Are you a Christian? Then Jesus had your name on his mind on the cross. All right, our last point. The ministry is the Spirit's with a capital S. You know, uh, the book of Ephesians is full of references to the Holy Spirit of God. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I'll talk to people and they'll go, well, we don't hear very much about the Holy Spirit. Oh, you know, well, I know we don't speak in tongues and all that stuff at the church, but uh, we were talking about, anybody ever talk about the Holy Spirit? And I want to go, are you kidding? I mean, I feel like all I do is talk about the Holy Spirit. And when we're in staff meeting, 
you know, we're always very careful to say, blah, 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 as the Spirit helps us, you know. Uh, of course, we couldn't accomplish anything without the Holy Spirit of God. There, no life transformation can take place without the Holy Spirit of God. We say it all the time. In fact, in Reformed theology, I don't know of anybody who talks about the Holy Spirit more than people who believe in the sovereignty of God. More than the, more than the assemblies of God people, we talk about the Holy Spirit of God. Like crazy. Because we know that nothing can happen apart from the Spirit's movement. I mean, that we think, and, and you look at the Apostle Paul. He brings it up again and again and again. I mean, directly, and, and he, he makes references and inferences. But let me just show you a few uh, specific things. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. He says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So do you feel safe in the Lord Jesus? It's because the Holy Spirit makes you safe. It's because the Holy Spirit resides in you and convinces your soul that you are protected and secure in Christ's finished and accomplished work. That's what that says. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Here's another one. For through Christ we, have both, uh, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. We have access, what? In, through, in, in one spirit to the Father. So there's another direct re, uh, reference to the Holy Spirit of God. And look at chapter 3, verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into, listen, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit of God now, um, Showing us what is true, giving us truth. And you, there, are, there are many other uh, references to that. Um, but in verse 24 of our passage here, um, it's, it talks about this idea of sanctifying. Uh, verse 26, I should say. Sanctify her, uh, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Now, let's stop that for a, for a second. Um, c- cleansing her. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Um, There are all kinds of functions of the helper uh, who is the Holy Spirit. And the way he distinctly ministers, ladies and gentlemen, is always via the word. Notice this. I mean, it's a mysterious statement too. Um, The washing of water with the word. Cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I mean, you've got this, this, uh, this, this uh, uh, reference to cleansing. You've got this reference to baptism, which is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, it's the Spirit's work. Read on in verse 27. Um, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Cleansed, right? Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless. That's the Spirit's work. It's this... It's this major, saving, intrusive, wonderful work to, to uh, buffet and save sinners. So that means, ladies and gentlemen, Christ's love was so vast and so selfless and so outwardly pouring that everything he did was accomplished in deep sacrifice, laying his life down. In all ministry is ministry of the word, applying these gospel truths to our lives. Now that said, you want to get down to it, men? That said, brace yourselves. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. 
that's, that's such a giant statement, I don't even know how to package it. In the same way husbands are supposed to love their wives. You want an application and you want some good news? You are not able to do it in your own power. You know, it's, it's, it's a sweet notion. It's a sweet notion I buy into. I buy into it. I, 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 I look at Tammy and, you know, it's this, uh, you make me want to be a better man. She does. She makes me want to be a better man. I, I look at her and I think I'm, I am so blessed with her. She's so wonderful. She wants me to be better. Uh, she wants, uh, you know, she does want me to be better. I want to be better. We both want me to be better. Uh, but you're not able to do it in your own power. It is, it is the Holy Spirit's work um, to, to sanctify and cleanse and wash and, and uh, purify. So all I have to say, gentlemen, if you want a, an application for your life, it's this. If you want to be a faithful head of your home, if you want to know what that looks like, if you want to know what authority in the home looks like, then do this. Start with this. Direct the focus of the whole family all the time to the working out of God's word in this life. Do that in submission and cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God. That is the foundation for your loving Christ uh, uh, as Christ loved the church. I'll tell you this. It drives me nuts. You, you know, you, you go to second hour. So when you go to second hour, uh, you go in there and you're like, oh, wow, look at all these people, you know. You should see first hour. It makes me want to die. Because we get out there. Am I right, Russ? Am I right? You go, you're like, you're kidding me. There's about as many people out there as there, there are in the band. And you're like, are we really going to start? Because this feels pretty ridiculous. And, uh, and here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking all of y'all got your butts to school or work or whatever it was at 7.30 or 8 or earlier, later, all week long. But here it's like, we just can't get to church on time because we've got to get everybody dressed. Blah, blah. Start early. You got two extra hours. And you're just sitting around and sitting around and sitting around. This is just not important. You know why, you know why attendance is low? Dads. I know you're going, oh, but you don't know how I jingle my keys. And I sit in that car and I honk the horn. And, uh, but, you know, but leadership doesn't come on Sunday morning when you're mad and everybody's racing around. It comes before. When daddy says, no, no, hey, guys, if one thing's going to happen, you can count on this. Dad's going to church. He's going on Wednesday. He's going on Sunday. If I'm traveling, okay, I'm traveling. If uh, we had a, a lacrosse thing, okay, we got a lacrosse thing. If my kid's out of town in a sport in, in Tennessee, we're going to go see that, okay? But if we can come, we are going to come. And we're going to come because it's the Lord's house and uh, worship is important and dad's going to set the tone. You want to minister to your house, you want to love your wife well, start there. And listen, there's going to be a lot more we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But that's, that's, that's the foundation. To close, let's review. Here's some uh, quotes for you that will help explain my points. This is one from a book I got of um, the model being Jesus. Let's review the model being Jesus. Here's a good quote for you. Here's a good application. The, um, a husband should say this kind of a thing. My role is to build up my wife to enable her to sense fully and deeply her infinite worth to me and to her Savior. 
Is that your heart attitude? That's what you should be thinking about her. I want, to, uh, I want her to sense fully and deeply her infinite worth to me and to her Savior. Here's a quote for the second one about the medium being the gospel. Uh, what we receive in our being rescued in Christ is his own echoed expressions of gospel love. I wrote that. What I'm saying to you is the way you're behaving toward your spouse, it's kind of like Jesus is right behind you with his hand on your shoulder going, okay, you remember how I gave her to you? You handle her the way I want you to handle her. It's not a bad application, is it? Here's the last one. Of the ministry being the Holy Spirit's. All ministry is a ministry of the word. And the very first step to loving well is to make sure the Bible is the central focus of the entire household at all times, no matter what. You want to love your wife well? That's how you do it. All right, my last little thing. I I, I got this quote from a book. I'm going to say it not how he wrote it. I'm going to say it the way I've I've revised it, okay? The nature of the grace of God informs and builds up our understanding of our preciousness. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Think about that. Um, The nature of grace of God informs, God says to our souls, you're treasured. God says to our souls, you're precious. And I want your understanding of that to well up inside you, Christian. Okay, that's true, isn't it? Isn't that encouraging? Nod your head if you think that's encouraging. Yes, you do, all of you? Everybody? All right, let me write it the way the guy wrote it. The way the guy wrote it was this. The nature of the grace of God informs and builds up the wife's understanding of her preciousness. Oh, yes, it's a gospel reality for all Christians. But guess what you're charged with, men? You're charged with building up your wife's understanding of her preciousness to God by the precious way you deal with her, by the tender way you deal with her and serve her and love her sacrificially. So what do you do? You ask yourselves many times throughout the day, um, if the way you just dealt with your wife, if the way you just thought about her, if the way you just talked about her, uh, the tone you use with her, the kindnesses you, you render to her, Ask if those are things that build up her understanding of her preciousness because she is. Father, um, continue to preach to our souls. Um, We want to uh, reduce your word and manage it so that we're not confronted by it, but confront us. And help us and change us. And um, might, you do, might you do things that only you can do, which is bind up the flawed, help the hurting, uh, remove um, years of bad habit and pain, and uh, make us more like Jesus Christ. Might we consider uh, submitting to one another as Christ uh, loves us. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Thanks, you guys.